So, salt and light. This week we're going to read, uh, we're going to start actually in verse 11 and read through verse 16. And then we're going to talk about it. And I'll try not to go as long as I did last week because apparently I went really long. I didn't even realize it until I got done. And some people were like, you went like 50 minutes. I don't think I went 50 minutes. I think it was like 40. But still, that's a long time. And I, I couldn't even pay attention to myself for that long, so I don't expect you to do either. So we'll try to get this done 30 minutes tops, and then we'll have small groups, okay? So salt and light. Start in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he goes on to start the, the main section we're going to look at tonight. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be, be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we just leave tonight with a better understanding of what it means to be salt and light, or what it means to, to glorify you with our hearts and with our, with our minds and with our actions, Lord, and that we bring others to know you uh, through the way that we live our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first section, the first thing we're going to talk about is kind of, it's kind of a theme or a thing that we're going to have to talk about a lot, right? Because in order to truly understand, to truly understand what Jesus is calling us to, we have to understand the necessity of us being that way. And so what I mean by that is this. In verses 11 and 12, there are characteristics not only of what it is to be a believer, but there are characteristics about unbelievers. And so I want, us to, I want us to see that really quickly. Look at, look at verse 11. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say kinds of evil against you because of me. Now there's a lot about you in there, but what also is there about? There's about people. What Jesus is telling his believers is, listen, there is going to be a need for you to be salt and light. Why is that? Because there's people in this world who are going to persecute you. There's people in this world that are evil and mean and nasty. And you can look around all the time and you can see that we live in a world where there's a lot of people who do not know who Jesus is. There's a lot of people who do not understand the gospel. There's a lot of people who do not have a hope beyond this world. There's a lot of people who are living for sin. And Jesus is telling his followers right here, he said, listen, if you're going to be a disciple of me, you have to understand that most of the world is not going to be like us. He says, listen, there's going to be people who falsely accuse you of things that you didn't do. There's going to be people who just say evil and nasty things against you because you follow me. There's going to be people who look at you oddly and weird and cast you out from their groups because of me. And not only that, but this has been happening forever. He said, listen, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this isn't a new thing, right? What we experience as Christians today and what these believers experienced in Jesus' time stretches all the way back to the beginning of time when people did not understand and comprehend their need for God. 
And for us, the reason that we have a passage like the salt and light passage, the reason that we're going to talk about what it means to, to, to make a difference and to stand out in the world is the fact that the world needs people to stand out. Does that make sense? We live in a world that needs people to truly love Jesus. We live in a world that needs people not to, not to do ministry by their own agenda and not to live their lives for themselves, but to truly live it for Him. Because there's so many people in the world who need to know Him. There's so many people in the world who don't know Him. What we're learning about the world and about the people around Jerusalem at this time is that there were so many people living and so many people who live now for themselves and themselves alone. I want us to look at real quickly at John 9, 28 through 34. John 9, 28 through 34. I'll read it real quick. But this is just a little example of what I'm talking about. John 9, 28 through 34. It says, then they, this is the Pharisees, says, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. So listen to what happened. Jesus, Jesus has healed a, a, a blind man. Okay, so there's a blind man who came to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And he went and showed himself to the Pharisees, right, to the religious leaders at the time. And when he came and showed himself to them, they said, in verse 28, says, They hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that, is, that, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So what is this man doing? He's saying, listen, we need to all understand that the same way, that the same Jesus who opened my eyes and, and, and gave me sight is the same one who told me to come here and tell you about the miracle that he's brought. And listen, we all need this man. And to this they reply, you were, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. We live in a world that needs Jesus and needs people who are going to be salt and light because that's their reaction to the gospel. That's the world's reaction to what it means to be truly be a disciple of Jesus. They're going to want to throw you out of their presence. Why? Because they don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know their own sin. They don't want to know their need for a Savior. And so I want us to understand and see that in those verses 11 and 12, what we recognize is how important verses 13 through 16 will be. So before we discuss what it means to be salt and light in the world, we must recognize where the world is so that we can truly learn what it means to be the difference in the world. I mean, if you were to describe the attitudes and hearts of the people and things you see on a daily basis, what would they be? What would, what would they be and how would you stand out as different? So, that's what we're going to look at. What does it mean to be different? That's what we're talking about with being salt and light. And so, the, the, the second point I'm going to make, looking at verse 13, is the good kind of salty. Okay? It's a little, you know, cool humor there. Alright, I'm trying to be trying to be cool, right? We, we come up with this new direction where salty means what? Sassy. Sassy? Mad. Anybody else? Huh? Mad. Mad? I mean, y'all are in high school. Y'all gotta, gotta know what salty means. Maybe a little jealous, you know? You got attitude. Why are you so salty, right? That's, I, I, I'm guessing people say that. I don't know. I mean, they said, they said it not too long ago. 
trendy anymore. Okay, I, I'm not, I, I've, been stuck at home, I've been stuck at home with a baby. I haven't been on you know, social media very much. I may not be, I'm an old dad now, so it may not be trendy anymore, but at one point it was trendy, okay? I even remember seeing a meme where it was, where it was, um, it was Lot and his wife. And, the, and somebody looks at her and says, why are you so salty? And if you know the story of Lot and his wife, you know that God turned her into a pillar of salt because she didn't, because she looked bad at Sodom and Gomorrah. So that, at one point it was even, it was even, you know, trendy enough to, to get on some like Jesus meme stuff. Okay, so why are you so salty? But what I want us to understand and recognize in this is being salty is a good thing. In terms of what the Bible is talking about here, in terms of what Jesus is calling us to here, being salty is a good is a good thing. So the good kind of salty. The first thing we need to understand is what salt meant to the people of Jesus' time. I know that sounds weird. Like, why do I care what a bunch of dead people did with salt? Okay, but I don't know about you. The only thing I think about when I think about salt right now is one mm, flavor, right? Which we're going to talk about, and two, high blood pressure. The only reason I think about that is because my doctors told me eat less salt, okay? So, but when I think about salt and what it adds, right, to me, it adds flavor. You look, we watch a lot of cooking shows, Brooke and I, especially over the past six months that we've been stuck at home, we've watched a lot of cooking shows. And I think the number one thing that the, that the judges always tell the people who are cooking is you didn't put enough salt on this. I mean, they're taking hand, handfuls of it, just dumping it in there. They still say, you didn't have enough salt on this. Right, there's that guy that does a little salt thing. What's, what's his name? Uh, salt <laughs> I don't I have no idea. I've just seen a meme of it. Anyway, salt is everywhere. Salt is in all of our food. But during Jesus' time, salt played an even bigger importance. You know what they did not have during Jesus' time? Refrigeration. So in order to keep food from going bad, in order for it to, to keep food from growing bacteria and like nasty stuff on it and having to throw it out, they would cover it in salt, and that's what would protect it. That's what it would protect it from, from getting being gross and corrupt, right? That's what they would keep their meat from getting nasty and, and growing bacteria and all these bad things. They would put salt on their food. It was extremely valuable. Roman soldiers at this time, many times, would get paid in salt. That's how valuable salt was to these people. And so when Jesus says, be the, you are the salt of the earth, he's not saying simply that you add a little bit of flavor. Right? No, what he's saying is, if you are the salt of the earth to these people, you are a necessity. Okay? That's, if you haven't taken notes, that's a, that's a good thing to write down. In, in the eyes of Jesus, his believers, his followers, you are a necessity. To the world. Because in this time, salt was not something you just used when you felt like it was something you had to have. You were a necessity. So when Jesus describes believers, those who are blessed as the salt of the earth, he's, he's truly elevating them to a necessary status. I know that sometimes you feel like maybe, maybe you go through times where you feel like there's, there's nothing important that you do. Now, I've gone some, through some pretty dark times where I felt like there was really nothing I was adding to anything. Really, really nothing that I was being a part of. But I want you to notice that Jesus right here, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you try to follow and emulate Him in all of your life, Jesus is saying, no matter how you feel about yourself, I see you as necessary. 
Isn't that a good feeling? Isn't, isn't that something that, that makes you want to go to the next day, to the next day, and to the next day? Because we know that not only are we necessary in the eyes of Jesus, but it, it, it's, a, it's a necessity that goes and it has an impact not only on this world, but on eternity. You have an impact on people's lives here on earth, but also on people's lives to come. That's a big deal. And so I want us to, to, to see and understand that when Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth, he calls us to be necessary. Also, believers, the people, we're people who are, are, are different, but believers are some are people who bring preservation. Okay, so preservation means that you 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 bring something and, and keep it at the forefront of people's minds and people's hearts. Now, like we talked about, salt would be used to preserve things. Okay, does everybody know? Does everybody know what preserve means? So to keep it from from decay, right? If I wanted to keep my food from decaying, I'm not going to leave it out on the counter, right? Brooke and I, I remember one time. This is funny. I was still going and like working at the college, and like I was like, we didn't have a lot of money. We still don't, but we didn't have a lot of money then either. So I would take like leftovers for lunch. And I remember one day I took, my, I picked up my lunchbox and I went to the office and I had some leftover chicken and dumplings. I love chicken and dumplings. And what ended up happening is my boss said, "Hey, lunch is on me today." Hey, I'm a poor man. Just got married, still in college. I was like, "Shoot, yeah, lunch is on you." So I put my lunchbox on the on the counter. And, and went with them to lunch. And I came home and I brought my lunchbox home and sat on the counter, forgetting, right, that I hadn't eaten it. So it sat in there, in the kitchen. And it was probably about a week later. I was like, like, what smells, man? Like, I don't know if you've ever been around food that's been sitting out that long. If you have, if you have a guy in your, in your house, you probably have, okay? We, we tend to be the ones that do that. But I was like, Brooke, I think something's dead under the house. <laughs> like, that's how bad it smelled. And we were both like, like greyhounds in there. Like trying to find an culprit to this stink, right? We're looking around, looking around, looking around. Eventually, it's like she, you know, finds her way up to my lunchbox. She's like, it's your lunchbox. And I was like, oh, man. Those chicken and dumplings have been sitting in my lunchbox in a container for a week. In, 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 the, in our house was like, set on, like, like I said before, so our house was like on 78 or 79 in terms of heat. It wasn't like it was cold in there, okay? And we opened that thing up, and it was just rank, right? There was nothing to preserve the integrity of those chicken and dumplings. And so they were they had some colors in it. You know, there was things going on in that. We won't talk about it. You know, it makes you not want to eat chicken and dumplings ever again, right? But it is necessary in terms of food, right, to have a way to preserve it. And this time it was salt. And so what Jesus is telling us is not only are you necessary, right, but you are a preserving people. You, you bring preservation. And what I mean by that is the good that you bring to the world slows the decay. It slows the, the, slows the sin. The, the impact that we should make. In our schools and in our communities should be one that, that we are such a force for Jesus that it slows the decay and the sin of the world. We should look different, right? We should add something of value, and that value is the fact that we preserve the good in the world. 
Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, by the way you love one another. We live in a day and age where love is hard to find. If you look around the way that people talk to each other, the way that people treat each other, it is a, we live in a world devoid of love. Well, one thing that the church should do is it should be a people who preserve love. True love. Godly love. Love just to love. Not love for the reason of you giving me something. Not selfish love, but love that, that Jesus gave us, right? The love of a Savior who died on the cross for our sins. This is something that we should bring to the world. What else should we bring? Peace and joy and comfort. All of these things that Jesus has given us, we should be here as a, as a, we should allow us to be a part of the preservation of those things in the world. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As the salt of the earth, we are to be the people who follow and preserve the goodness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and the expectations of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. As we talked about with the salt, salt on food, it stunts the growth potential and survivability of microorganisms like fungi. I looked that up on Google, so I know that it's true. But I actually did some research, right, on what salt does. Not only does salt bring something good, but it stops the bad. Does that make sense? Not only does salt bring its own good, but it's, it's so overwhelmingly good that it stops bad things from growing. That's what we as followers of Jesus can do when we reflect Him with all of our hearts. We not only bring good, which is Jesus, right, but we push back evil. We not only bring good, but we push back sin, right? People ought to want to avoid sin when they're in a room with you because you bring so much joy and so much Jesus into people's lives. We're to be a people that helps the world from slowly decaying into a rotten the more salt that is present, the less likely for bacteria to grow. Now I'm here to tell you, the more of Jesus' followers that are present, the less likely sin is to grow. The more intensely we follow Jesus Christ, the less likely that sin will be able to seep into our lives, and into our homes, into our schools, into our communities. We need to continue to grow in that walk. But also... Salt doesn't simply preserve it. We're going to talk about the thing that we know that it does. It also adds flavor. The people of Jesus are not to only help preserve and prevent the growth of sin, but they are to bring something good to the world as well. Just as salt brings out the good flavor of the meat, so God's people are to bring out the good of the world. We must surround ourselves with Jesus and His Word, His worship, His people, so that we can be filled up by Him and take Him with us into the world. One of my favorite verses, Romans 12. 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How can I be the salt of the earth? It's to humble myself and offer myself as a living sacrifice to Jesus. And allow Him to use me so that, I, that I'm not conformed to this world, but I'm transformed by Him. So that I look and see things differently. 
And then we get into the second part of this verse. Real quickly, I'll, I'll sum up this last part. It says, it is no longer good for anything, right? If salt loses its saltiness, I mean, what's the point of salt if it's not salty? That doesn't make any sense, right? Then I'm just going to be taking this white stuff that tastes like nothing and putting it on my food. That doesn't make any sense. And so that's what Jesus is saying. If salt loses its saltiness, right, what's it good for? If a refrigerator loses the ability to cool, then it's just a really, really hot storage place. It's not good for anything. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell us is, as believers, if we lose, if we lose our intensity, if we lose our intentionality in our relationships, if we lose our, our spiritual fervor, which is a big term that means basically if we lose our hunger for telling others about Jesus and for living for Him, then, then, then what are we good for? We're to be used as, as tools for Jesus. And so we're not to be people who, who lose our intensity. Salt without its preserving nature is useless, and a fridge without cold air is useless. So is a Christian without a Christ-centered mentality. We must continue to seek Him so that we can continue to make a difference. We were called to make in the world. So there's a good kind of salty, you know, a salty that's that's necessary, a salty that is preserving, and a salty that adds that adds good to the world, that adds flavor. And then thirdly and lastly, in verses 14 through 16, we're going to talk about don't hide the light. Now, we've all heard that song before. Everybody knows what song I'm talking about. This little light of mine. Man, it's a good one. It's a classic. Right? I throw that on in my truck, this cruise around town, this little, this little light of mine. No, I'm just kidding. But this little light of mine is a song that not only do, do Christians know, right? But I think it's a song that stretches into even other, either, even other homes. You know, it's a song that's become known and, and, and understood by, by, by plenty of people. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, in verse 14, Jesus calls me and you, those who believe in him, says, you are the light of the world. That is a big statement. And the reason that's a big statement is because Jesus says that about somebody else as well. Himself. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How can it be that both Jesus and you and me, how can, how can it be that we can all be the light of the world? I truly believe that we can only be the light of the world by reflecting Jesus. Now, this is something I think we've talked about before, but there's a, I don't know if I came up with this myself, I'm not going to claim to have. Okay? I think I may have heard it somewhere. But to me, the greatest example of this is the moon. Did you know, I'm getting into school already, Catherine. I'm not listening. You're not listening? You don't want to talk about school? I'm getting real deep here. I'm just kidding. The moon does not produce its own light. Right? Sometimes I can go out in the middle of the night, and if it's a full moon, I can walk around, no flashlight, nothing, and see anywhere I want to go. And I'd be amazed many times. I'm like, man, the moon is so bright tonight. But in reality, the moon, it, it, it creates no brightness of its own. It creates no light. What does it do? All right, we can go. We got some smart people here. It reflects the sun. And so when I think about Jesus calling us to be the light of the world, He's not calling you to produce your own light. He's not calling you to somehow muster the ability to do what He, he Himself can do. What He's saying is, listen, you are to be a reflection of me. So when you think about being the light of the world, think about the fact that 
All you have to do is open yourself up to Jesus and reflect Him to the world. That's how you and I are the light of the world. And so I love, I love that example because it makes me realize how little I actually do in order to, to do this well. Right? And it's all about Jesus. It's all about me simply surrendering and opening myself up to Him. If I turn my back on Jesus and don't reflect His light, that's on me. But if I open myself up to Jesus, He is the one that will, that will shine the light that I can reflect into the darkness. And so firstly, the way in which we are the light of the world is for us to, to glorify and reflect Jesus in every aspect of life. We are to open ourselves up to Him and, and to show other people that I live my life not to produce my own light, not, that you can, not so you can see me, right? But I want you to see the work of the one I follow, the work of the one I love, the glory of the one who died for me on the cross. That should be our hearts. And so he says, if you're going to be this light, what you can't be is put under a bushel. You can't be put under a bowl. That's what mine says. It says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives its light to everyone in the house. Now think about a city on a hill. They, you're, you're in Jerusalem. There's a, lot, there's a lot of hills going on, right? There's a lot of valleys, deep valleys. There's, there's not a whole lot of other stuff to, to, to catch your eye, right? So if you see a city on a hill, right, and you're walking along or riding a camel, I don't know, whatever you're doing, riding a donkey, you see that city on a hill, you're not going to be able to take your eye off of it, right? It's going to stand out. It's going to catch your attention. I think about whenever you're driving on the interstate and you come over that bridge and all of a sudden you see the skyline of Atlanta. Right? There's a reason that all those people built those buildings so tall. It's not just the functionality of it, but it's also to catch people's attention. Right? Look at me. I'm the best building in Atlanta. Right? We got the biggest sign. You know, we're going to put ourselves right outside of our truest park. You know, there's a reason that this happens. It's because it catches people's attention. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you build a city on a hill, <laughs> the expectation is people are going to look at it and be drawn to it. And so what he's telling you is that if you're truly following him, people are going to be drawn to you. Not because of your own life, right, but because of the fact that Jesus has given you life. And so one thing is that you don't hide a city on a hill. And secondly, you don't put a, a lamp under a <clears throat> bowl. Lamp light was the only source of light at this time. So it makes sense that you wouldn't light a lamp and then cover it up, right? But what's the point? What's the point in me lighting a light to lead my way and then covering it with something so that I can't see anymore? Doesn't make much sense. Hey, bro, will you turn those lights off in the back? Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a little example. Oh. Don't leave. Okay. So it's still going to be a little light out, but I do, I hope, hopefully you'll catch my fruit. But, alright, this is a flashlight. It's today, it's our lamp of today. But, alright, here's the thing. If I were to have a, a flashlight like this, okay, there's a reason I have it, right? It has a purpose. And that purpose, if it was completely dark in here, would to, to help me find my way out of here. Right? That's the purpose of this flashlight. If I'm looking for the path, the flashlight is going to help me find the right direction, the right path. Now, it makes no sense for me, right, to do this. Why would I cover up the flashlight? Why would I 
take away the one thing that, that brings this thing. This thing has no value whatsoever if I cover the light up. And so what I want us to see and understand is that sometimes we allow certain things in our life to cover up our light. Sounds kind of cheesy, but it's true. I want you to think about for a minute some of the things that you struggle with. I don't have to say it out loud, right? But think about for a minute, does anybody struggle with, with anger? You know, that's a thing that I think a lot of us do struggle with. Now, you may feel like your anger only, only does about this, right? So, so what's really happening here is the light's covered up, you know, but you can still see it, right? So you got a little bit of anger, you know, you can still see the light through that. Well, then you add, you add to anger selfishness. And when you add to anger selfishness, it covers up the light a little more. You can still kind of see it, but it covers it up a little more. And you, you let that kind of build and build, and it goes from selfishness and, and anger to, to pride. And as you get from selfishness, selfishness to anger to pride, and it continues to build, you start to see that light less and less. And it builds and it builds and it builds, and eventually, all the things that you struggle with that you haven't allowed God to take out of your life, cover it up. And you think, it's, you know, that, that pride, that anger, that sin, those different things, that it's, it's not a big deal. But eventually, this is what it gets to. And no longer is that light able to be seen. And so I think what Jesus is saying about hiding under a bowl or whatever in your life is sometimes we allow sin, right, to hide our light. I can't truly reflect Jesus with all my life if I'm first reflecting sin and, and selfishness and pride and anger and all the things that, that, are, that are opposite of who Jesus is. I want us to, to, to see and understand that many times we allow these layers, these layers of sin to cover up our light, to cover up our purpose, right? I'm not going to lead anyone to the right path if I allow sin to get in the way of the life. If I allow sin so much in my life that people can't see Jesus in me, then I'm not leading anybody to the right path. I'm not leading anybody in the right direction. I think too often we take sin too lightly. Too often we take things that the world would call little, little stuff, right? One sheet of paper. We say, that's not a big a deal. But when one, one sheet of paper turns into five, and one sin turns into, into five, and we don't take sin seriously, eventually we allow it to cover up that light that Jesus has given us. What good is a light that is covered and unable to provide direction? Those who are the light of the world should be intentional in spreading the light of Jesus to the world. Don't allow the things of this world to cover up that light. Those who are the light of the world and the salt of the earth are to live wise that glorify God. And we don't want others to see us for it, but we want them to give glory to God above. And that's how he ends this. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. People are watching. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And if that's the stance we take, and if that's the heart we take into our lives, then people are going to see us. Now, what is it that they're going to see? Are they going to see a salt that has lost its saltiness? Are they going to see a light that we put under a bowl? 
Or are they going to see a people who has put themselves up on a stand showing that, listen, I know that it may bring me ridicule, and I know the world has, has persecuted prophets, and I know the world doesn't like to hear this, but everyone needs Jesus, and I'm going to tell everybody that. I want us to be a people in a church and a youth group that goes and makes that difference and so people look at us and see that, that we're the good kind of salty. Right? That, that we're not going to hide our light because of peer pressure. We're not going to hide our light because it's not the cool thing to do. I know this little light of mine, I know it can go back to that cheesy song, but it's true. Let it shine. Let the light of Jesus in your life shine. If there's ever a time that we're living in a dark world, it's right now. People need Jesus now the same way that they've always needed him, even, maybe even more. You know, it feels that way. It's been a heavy time. I know that y'all felt that. It's been a struggle. So don't make this about you. Don't make this about shining your light. Don't make this about being who you think you should be. Make this about glorifying and honoring Jesus and see the difference that he can make in you. Don't allow the covers of sin to cover up your life. Because Jesus called us as believers to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's what we ought to be.